Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where they've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else, and then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with Mm. other women and Mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Hello and welcome to Basic Folk, a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm Lizzie No, your host, your boss, your best friend, your ally, and your neighbor. And your sorority And I'm here sister. with my friend. Excuse me. Excuse me. Someone has interrupted the host. Sorry. I'm here with unruly hanger-on Cindy House. That's right. I ride the coattails of Lizzie No. <laughs> Molly Tuttle, who is the Bluegrass Situation's July 2023 Artist of the Month, is our guest today on the podcast Basic Folk I also want to say before we get into talking about Molly, sign up for our newsletter, basicfolk.com. You can click on the red sign up button. Lizzie just wrote a really awesome newsletter for us with a great playlist she shared for July. Who knows what's to come in August? You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Basic Folk Pod. Lizzie knows on all social media platforms, not threads. Um... I'm not on threads yet. You can, I'm not Change on threads mind. either. Yeah. And probably going to quit Instagram, but I just can't. There's too many products I need to buy for my cat that I'm being shown on Instagram. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that we're listener supported. So you can make a contribution Buy a basic folk beanie. I know it's July, but the fall is right around the corner. My mom knits these and puts a little basic folk tag on them. You can take a look at basicfolk.com in the shop. Um, You can give $5 a month, support the podcast, and you get a really cute, lovely, handmade gift. All right. Speaking of dreams that I had, (laughs) I had a dream last night, and I'd like for you to interpret it, Cindy. Uh, In the dream, my dad introduced me to Ronald Reagan, and I had to be polite to Ronald Reagan Mm. to sort of like, you know, I was like, Lizzie, be cool. Like, don't. Don't like call him a demon, even though that's what you think. Mm. What's going on there? I think that dream means that you are going to come into a large sum of money because of Reaganomics. Oh, it's finally going to trickle down at last. I have heard recently of Bidenomics. Yes. Is Bidenomics where I don't get my student loans forgiven, but they actually find a way to make money trickle down from the ruling class? Is that? Bidenomics doesn't trickle down. It sprouts up. 
oh, it sprouts up. Oh, so I'm going to be giving money to rich people. Right. And you reap just what you sow. Oh, good. I think more people should be coming to us for financial advice. I am all about the FDC interest rates. Mm. I had a friend that worked at the Fed and he said, this was in the ja- Janet Yellen My years, number one and concern. He said, oh, sorry. Let me tell my story about Janet Yellen, Cindy. Apparently she liked to have a hot dog for lunch in the Fed cafeteria. She was like a hot dog lady. That's just like me. Your Janet Yellen story? Yeah. <laughs> that you were so, you're ha- struggling to tell is that Janet Yellen ate hot dogs? She likes hot dogs. That's oh, a fun Lord. fact. The thing that I'm most concerned about when thinking about finances, when are they putting Harriet Tubman on that 20? Can I say something controversial? Mm -hmm. I don't want to see Harriet Tubman on U.S. currency. Mm. Tell me why. The reason why is on a spiritual level, I think it will be weird to like hand over legal tender with her face on it. Like, I feel like that's weird. You know how you're not like not supposed to throw away a Bible? Like it's you shouldn't mix things that are that powerful. Are you saying she's too Am good? Am I a witch? Too good for yeah, the she's 20? she's too good. And also she was a revolutionary. And I don't think that U.S. currency deserves her. Mm. Because in the days of slavery, black people were property. And we were the wealth of the nation. Oh. And we were traded. And she was steal like when when she freed slaves, her primary crime was that she was stealing property from white people. So I don't like the idea of her then becoming currency. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I do see what you're saying. There are other ways to honor Harriet Tubman. I agree. A holiday. Uh, how about like make Black History accessible in public schools so kids can actually learn about it instead of like suppressing knowledge and banning books reparations reparations would be dope maybe housing for all and it's under it's called the harriet tubman act maybe they close the prisons and it's called the harriet tubman liberation day those are just like a few ideas off the top of my head i don't know if i've known anyone who's consistently changed my mind on things so fast as I have with Lizzie No. Cindy, that's a beautiful thing to say because you're a real smart lady. Well, I'm like a nice white lady and I have nice white lady perspectives and opinions. Mm, I I would say you are above and beyond a nice white lady, but sure. It's good to like keep yourself, you know, have self-awareness and stuff. Right. The last thing I'll say about the Harriet Tubman thing is that I had a teacher once who said access to the empire is not the same as freedom. And that's a like a saying that I like to live by and I like to use as my North Star when I'm figuring out if something really is progress in my estimation. I have heard of people who are invited to have a seat at the table. Mm. But the people who are invited are like, your table sucks. Not actually interested. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to eat elsewhere. We need a new table. A crowded table. Oh. Bringing it back to folk music again. Lizzie, no. If that didn't set us up to introduce our guest, I don't know what would. Maybe like quoting a Molly Tuttle song. A crowded table built from a crooked tree. You can't build a crowded table from a crooked tree because it won't fit into the mill machine. They're left to grow wild and free, Cindy. Oh, all right. I wasn't paying attention, which is which is my prerogative. Should we do this? Talk about that? 
Oh, Molly Tuttle. I would love to talk about Molly Tuttle. I'm a big fan. Totally. And after listening to this new album, we are even bigger fans. Basic Folk this week is thrilled to interview the Bluegrass Situation's July 2023 Artist of the Month, Molly Tuttle, who is quickly becoming the Bluegrass American Idol. So true. Her new album, City of Gold, is hot off the heels of her Grammy Award-winning 2022 album, Crooked Tree, which also got her a nomination in one of the coveted Big Four categories of Best New Artist. And we know that we've all had eyes on Molly for years, but since she's fully embraced the bluegrass genre on these last couple of albums, Best New Artist makes a lot of sense for Molly. Bluegrass was the music that she grew up with in Palo Alto, California, with her guitar-teaching father helping her soak in the vibrant scene. She's also learning how to take control of the bluegrass narrative by telling her story and sharing her perspective through her new songs. And that rings so true with the new record, City of Gold, co-produced by Tuttle and Dobro master Jerry Douglas of Allison Krauss and Union Station fame, and mostly co-written with her partner Ketch Secor of Old Crow Medicine Show, and featuring her crack-backing band Golden Highway. She's writing bluegrass songs that are fun and insightful at the same time. We get a bluegrass version of Alice in Wonderland, the story of a woman fighting for her bodily autonomy, and not to mention that time that she married Dave Matthews on a road trip. Breaking news! Breaking news, LOL! JK. But there is a real new song with the real actual Dave Matthews. She digs into her new album, as well as finding her own way in the patriarchal world of bluegrass and leveling up about her alopecia, which is an autoimmune skin disease causing hair loss. Molly Tuttle is a great hang, an inspiration for us all, and has made a fabulous new album, City of Gold. Total Lilas for Molly Tuttle. Lilas, Molly. We'll listen to clips of the new album, City of Gold, which is out now um, during the interview. So sit back, relax, please enjoy our interview with Molly Tuttle on Basic Folk. Molly Tuttle, welcome to Basic Folk again. It's so great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here with you guys. Before we start our interview, I want to set the tone for our conversation. Mm. Um, Molly Tuttle is being highlighted as Bluegrass Situations Artist of the Month, which is so awesome. The tone of our interview today is Lila's. Do you know what Lila's is? No. It's spelled L-Y-L-A-S. L-Y-L-A-S. Okay. I don't know that. What it means is, love you like a sis. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. So we are total like Lila's. We are, you know, this is like a fun trip to the mall. This is yes. like a really fun cruise around the harbor with your gal right. pals. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Well, it's perfect because I'm actually in a hotel outside of Missoula, and there's a strip mall nearby. So shopping has been on my mind today. <laughs> Great. We'll all get Manny petties Yes. French tip. Together. <laughs> yes. French tip. Well, let's begin. I'm Cindy here with Lizzie No. Hey. Talking about Molly's new album, City of Gold. So when approaching the writing 
on City of Gold, you asked yourself, how do I tell my story through bluegrass? Which I can relate to that as somebody who's sort of tried to distance themselves from like folk music for a really long time. And now like I am fully leaning into it. So I take you asking that question of yourself as like, how can I fit my Molly Tuttleness into a world that can be rigid, patriarchal, and maybe different from what you stand for? So how true is that? And how have these songs helped you take control of the bluegrass narrative and tradition? Yeah, I think like that's something I've always kind of struggled with. I remember when I first started writing songs, I was just I just thought like I don't I don't know how to write a bluegrass song. I can I can write a song, but it's they never ended up sounding like bluegrass to me and mm. I just didn't feel like my story fit into like the bluegrass narrative of the songs that I grew up singing. Um, but I always loved songwriters like Hazel Dickens, who wrote bluegrass songs from a woman's perspective, wrote songs about um, the struggles that she had as a woman in the music industry and as a working woman and um, and songs about workers rights and things she believed in. And then um, I grew up with two really strong role models, Lori Lewis and Kathy Callick out in the Bay Area. And I remember early on, Kathy Callick, I would go out to her house and she would make me tea and listen to my songs. And um, she always told me that when she was first getting started writing bluegrass songs, she kind of felt the same way as me, like maybe her story didn't belong in the genre. But she met Bill Monroe and he encouraged her to, you know, don't try to write a song that sounds like a song I would have written, write a song from your own perspective. Um, and so she wrote a song called uh, Broken Tie about her parents getting a divorce. And she said every time she was at a festival with Bill Monroe, he re specifically requested that song. So um, that was something that I always, that was like an inspiring story to me. But I, um, when I started writing songs for Crooked Tree, it was suddenly like a floodgate opened. And I think I just found my people to write with, found my groove and ended up with a collection of songs that kind of told my story about things I believed in and my family history and um, personal experiences and then other songs that were just, you know, from a from a woman's perspective or from a perspective that I resonate with. And then so for this album, it was fun to kind of continue that and also expand it to be songs that I felt like were inspired by my band members or inspired by experiences we'd had on the road. This felt more like a collective vision in a way. Mm. Okay, let's talk about Crooked Tree. The title track from your last record was partly inspired by your experience living with alopecia. Mm -hmm. um, and you've said that as a kid, you would wear hats and then wigs. And then you learned to talk about your wig. And mm -hmm. eventually you started to get more comfortable going without. Yeah. Um, and now that you're touring with Golden Highway a ton, you sometimes take your wig off when you play that song, mm -hmm. which is such a powerful moment of like joy and courage mm -hmm. and vulnerability. And as a performer, I can relate to those moments where like you bring a little bit extra of yourself and you share a part of yourself that you might normally keep private. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, what it takes is really reading the room. Like, do I feel safe with this crowd? Mm -hmm. Does this feel like um, a gesture or a statement that's going to be received how I want it to be received? So my question is, like, how do you get to that right mood? How do you gauge if the crowd is like the right crowd to share about your alopecia experience? 
Yeah, well, it's also it's so much based on how I'm feeling. Like mm-hmm. I I took off my wig a few times last year, but you know I didn't I didn't do it as much as maybe I wanted to, or maybe I should have mm-hmm. just because I wasn't always sure what to say. Like I've had so many experiences of trying to explain alopecia to people, and they mm-hmm. still think I'm sick, or still think they still feel bad for me, and it's so hard sometimes to put it in words that aren't going to bring the mood down at the show. You know, I want people mm-hmm. to be having a good time, and I want it to be this fun, inspiring moment, not a moment where people think, oh, I feel so bad for you. Um, And so I recently last weekend performed and told my whole story. I did a keynote speech at this alopecia conference out in Denver, Colorado. And I think that was such a important step for me. um, Just getting to share my story and reflect on like the pain of growing up, having this um, really visible difference, but also like the joy and why it's so important to me to share that with others and, um, and share the message that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be a crooked tree. So then this last weekend we played, um, in Michigan and I did take off my wig and I, I felt like I finally nailed like what I said and the perfect mood and everyone was cheering and it was just a moment of celebration. So I think I'm going to just continue doing that more and more, but I find that it's so, helpful for me to just check in with the alopecia community and feel that support from other people who know exactly how I feel. And that makes me feel confident to share my message with the world. And, you know, maybe sometimes be like, I don't care how it's received. Maybe it's not, I'm not sure how it's going to be received, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, um, that just Mm -hmm. comes with time. And, and I guess I've had to grow kind of a thick skin. (laughs) It used to be a lot harder for me. (laughs) Hmm. The new album, City of Gold, the songs were mostly written by you and um, your partner, Catch Secor. Is yeah. that okay to say? Mm-hmm. You, okay. Uh, Catch Secor of Old Crow Medicine Show. Um, what is the writing process like with you and Catch? Like, how do you bring out the best in each other's writing? It's like we're both quite different writers. He's very, like, fast paced. He throws out ideas and lines, and I'm more kind of like think it over. I'm kind of more internal. <laughs> think about the lines. So, um, we kind of balance, and ha. yeah, <laughs> we balance each other out in a way where I might think a lot about like, what exactly are we saying? And then he's good. If I get stuck on something, they just kind of keep it moving. But our writing process is always different. It's nice. Cause we're together a lot. So we can write in a lot of different circumstances. We've some of the songs we wrote in the car, like on a road trip, mm-hmm. um, just throwing lines back and forth. And I'd be, maybe he'd be driving and I'd be writing the lines on my phone and other songs we wrote just um, maybe we're talking about something at home or listening to music and sitting down with instruments, um, kind of more the conventional way of writing. Um, but it's nice because like we, I find it so hard to fit writing into my life, especially when I'm on tour and I'm on the go so much. So it's, we got into a groove with it where we were just doing it all the time and it felt more naturally intertwined <laughs> into my day-to-day life. The bluegrass community was a huge source of inspiration for you on this record. Mm-hmm. You said, one of the things I love most about this music is how so much of the audience plays music as well, and that you hope that people will sing along and maybe play those songs with their <laughs> friends, almost like we're all a part of one great big family. Now, how do you walk the line of making a sophisticated <laughs> bitchin' bluegrass record while keeping it simple <laughs> enough for others who might not be musical geniuses to play along? Well, I think the beauty of bluegrass music is that 
you can take a song like a lot most of the songs have like three or four chords mm-hmm. um and you can play them really simple you can just strum strum along play it as slow as you want and um beginner bluegrass musicians might go to a jam of people of the same level as them and play these songs in a lot simpler of a way and then um as you get better and better you can you know play it faster you can play more complicated solos you can really play with the dynamics and it just there's infinite ways to kind of make these songs more and more complex and sophisticated as you progress in your musical abilities. Um, on this record, City of Gold, I did kind of stray away from that, you know, three chords and the truth mm-hmm. format a little more than I did on my last <laughs> record. It was fun because we were working up these arrangements as a band, which was a lot different process than I've ever done before in the studio. I've always gone in with my songs, gathered musicians that I don't normally play with on the road, studio musicians, or on Crooked Tree, I had a lot of my bluegrass heroes on the mm-hmm. record. And you're kind of, you're learning the songs and playing them into a chart. But for this album, we really took the time to develop more complicated arrangements, add in new sections that stray away from the key. Um, so these songs are a little less accessible to the standard bluegrass jam, but I think there's still a few that um, people could learn to play at any level. <laughs> I didn't see a plan for this, but is there a plan to release? I don't know if this is like kosher in the bluegrass community of like releasing like a tablature book or something. Oh, I don't have any plans to do that, but that's a great idea. I did actually think about that. Um, (laughs) I'd love to make kind of like a song book with the chords. That's how I learned to play so many bluegrass songs. My dad is a music teacher, so he has lyric books. He has guitar tab books. And I often would just sit around with the lyric book and flip through and play along to it. You should just send him the album and say, yeah. Dad, <laughs> I need you to do me a huge favor. That's not a bad idea. Write it all down, Dad. Stoked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then he writes the foreword. My gosh, we're going to make a million dollars on this idea. I'll, cu- I'll give you guys a great. cut. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, great. We'll give you a cut when we write the book. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna rush Kate from the Golden State with a nugget around my neck. I'll keep the red lights burning bright from here to hell and back. I've dug for silver and for gold from Boulder up to Haynes. When I hit Coloma, boys, I made my final claim. Across the high Sierras in the spring of 48. And every man with a shoveling pan has stumbled through my gates. Behind these doors, whiskey pours and loving flows like wine. Most mother loads, they'll dig or else I try. Okay, now we're going to talk specifically about some of the songs on the new album, City of Gold, starting with the first song, El Dorado. Right now, I am re-watching Deadwood, so I am, like, <laughs> super into this song. Um, nice. As a kid, you took a field trip to Coloma, the site of California's first gold strike, and it was the first time you heard about the legendary El Dorado, <laughs> the city of gold. And in the song, you sing El Dorado, city of gold, city of fools. And you said, just like gold fever, music has always <laughs> captivated me. So... Who are the characters in this song, like Gold Rush Kate from the Golden <laughs> State? And how do you connect with these fools? Yes. So I think like this song did come about again. I was like, I wrote the song with Catch and I was, I don't know how it came about, but I was like, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, every, every school would kind of send the kids off to the gold country. You'd go to different places. And the person who taught 
uh, my class how to pan for gold. He just like, for some reason has, I have like a very vivid memory of him. He had this like gold nugget on a chain around his neck and he kind of like showed us how to pan for gold. And he was like, you might find a flake of gold, but if you find like an actual nugget of gold, we're not going to let you keep that. You have to give it back to us. And that's just kind of, I remember being like, I really want to find like a nugget of gold and just squirrel it away and not tell this guy about it. Um, so that kind of stuck with me. And then I was telling literally every kid in your class thought that, yeah, I'm like, we're going to strike it rich at this gold mine. And so we were kind of like doing some research on Coloma and found that it's in El Dorado County. Um, and that seemed like a good place to start with a song just kind of inspired by, you know, that character, but also thinking about all these characters who came together and we're all trying to strike it rich. And I feel like that is such a theme in our society. You know, we have these like little mini gold rushes, like of everyone being like, this is mm -hmm. the next big thing. We're all going to make yeah. so much money off of this. But for me, that's always been, you know, I don't, I didn't get into music thinking this is going to make me rich, but it is something I've chased after um, for many years now. What do you think is the current gold rush? Is it dispensaries, vape stores? We're going to yeah, get there, totally. Cindy. <laughs> the thing that just popped into my head, it's um, a couple years, maybe like a year past its prime, like crypto currency. <laughs> I think, I don't know where that stands now. I think we're a little bit past that. I am really glad that I didn't bother to learn what that is. I barely know what that is either. It was just like everyone, ta everyone talked about it for like a year. Because I was like, is this going to stick around long enough that I'm going to have to learn about it? Or can I just kind of like wait for it to blow over? And I feel like I'm good on waiting for it to blow over. I feel like it blew over now. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I don't know, guys. I just invested in like a hundred crypto ATMs. So <laughs> Cindy, <laughs> on wood for me. I think it's going to pay off. I've seen it all the rise and fall. Now I take my rest. I'm going to keep from the Golden State and I'm the last one Okay, the second track on this album is Where Did All the Wild Things Go, which is a song about gentrification's corrosive effect on the character <laughs> of once vibrant neighborhoods nationwide, which I can very much relate to living in Brooklyn. I'd love to hear about your neighborhood where you live now. Is there a specific tradition or neighborhood institution or restaurant or store that is so special about your neighborhood that you're passionate about preserving? And... Like, how are you and your neighbors trying to keep your neighborhood weird and wild? <laughs> well, my neighborhood is, I live in East Nashville and it's, before I got there, it was totally different. It's just in constant flux. Um, mm -hmm. It really changed so much when we had the tornado hit mm -hmm. that took out tons of the local businesses that never returned. Um, a lot of people moved out. And the pandemic just kind of like sped all of that up. So it feels coming out of lockdown. I was like, whoa, this is so different. Like, where do I even live anymore? So, yeah, I think I don't I don't really know how to answer how I'm trying to preserve it. I feel like I just come back and I'm living in a different yeah. city every time I come back from tour. Basically, oh, wow. Nashville's always changing, just constantly growing. So many businesses are moving here. And I do feel like there's this constant sense of like everyone missing the old Nashville. I don't think mm -hmm. that I was even around for the like, quote unquote, old Nashville, as many people who grew up in the city know it. So maybe I was 
I'm part of the problem in a way, probably. I moved there um, just eight years ago, but... I don't think you're the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I. if I had to like guess what is the problem with, with Nashville, I, I'm not going to even put Molly Tuttle in the top 50. <laughs> I would Thank put the you. longevity bros before Molly Tuttle. What's that? Longevity, bro. I'm learning so many new things on this podcast. They're Me mostly too. in Austin, Texas. Oh. You know, like the Joe Rogan oh, down oh, in yeah. Austin, ooh, Texas. Ooh. Oh, okay. Oh, the bros who want to like inject other people's blood into them and live and, forever. Like, live, t- live forever. Oh I my God. My girlfriends and I follow like a handful of these men that like only eat like butter and raw bull <laughs> testicles and they are the ah. most... Weird and fascinating and sad people yes. on the internet. Okay, I've definitely read articles. <laughs> oh my gosh. Molly, I will DM you some links. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from Silicon Valley, so that's like, I feel yeah. like that's the heart of the longevity bro oh, movement, yeah. if you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they went from Peter Pan boys to realizing they actually had to grow up and they're scared to die. So they're creating <laughs> consciousness in the cloud. Yeah, but and going eternal back to life through red meat. <laughs> going back to what you're saying, like San Francisco, I feel like is such an example of, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a city that was kind of the character for many years was just like everyone's weird here, everyone's mm-hmm. w- doing wild things, and now it's definitely changed. But mm. that song was also kind of inspired by like going out on the road and playing these festivals and seeing like people acting crazy and just you know all those things you kind of soak in at a over a festival season. <laughs> Passed out in a porta john is a line that has never personally happened to me, although I do know multiple people who have passed out in porta potties at bluegrass festivals. So Molly, that's what my worst ni- my worst nightmare is waking up in a porta john at a festival. Yes. Ooh. I know multiple people who have done that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> The next song we want to talk about is San Joaquin, a new old style railroad song. There's such a romance surrounding trains in song. You've always loved singing about trains. There is that long tradition of trains and folk songs. What do you think it is about trains that have captured artists' hearts since they've been around? I think as artists, like as especially as musicians, we kind of have this like roving spirit where we want to see the world. We want to travel. I feel like a lot of musicians, myself included, we kind of romanticize trains as like this early way of getting across the country and um still you'll see musicians from time to time like doing a train tour and of course you have like buskers who might hop a train across the country and play mm-hmm. all over the place don't um, do it <laughs> i've never Danger. done that but <laughs> <laughs> um you know i think it's just this this thing that kind of is romanticized especially by musicians and train songs i've always loved singing them there's so many bluegrass train songs but I didn't know like a specifically like California bluegrass train song. So I felt like it was Mm. time to write one. 
What's your favorite train song? Um, that's such a good question. The first one that popped into my head was Larry Sparks sings this song, I'd Like to Be a Train. And that's just like going, like, he doesn't just want to ride a train. He wants to be a train. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Powerful. Yes. <laughs> Move always straight ahead. Um, I'm going to break some news here on Basic Folk that a lot of people might not know. A true story is that you went on a road trip with Dave Matthews and the two of you got married. That is 100% true. <laughs> I can see the tabloids and bluegrass today now. <laughs> um, just kidding. But Dave does some amazing guest vocals on Yosemite. What do you like about Dave's voice and what it added to the song? Like, what's the mood and the character that he brings with his vocals? Yes. Well, um, his voice to me is just it's a voice I heard as a kid. And so when I hear it, it's just iconic. Like nobody sounds like him. You can just, I don't know how he does that with his voice. It's like, it's truly like its own instrument. And so it was surreal when he sent the track back and suddenly I heard Dave Matthews singing my lyrics. I was like, what is happening? Um, but it's the song itself is like, it's sad, but it's also kind of supposed to be a little, I don't know, funny in a way it's supposed to have some sort of humor to it it's like this road trip gone horribly wrong and, and i think he us? does who among us <laughs> yes <laughs> it was so i think his you know he's kind of like the straight man in a way and it's kind of like this funny like playing off each other and i just had so much fun he sent his voice back and i loved singing along with it and just kind of learning the ways he was making the melody fit his style it was so cool and um, I've gotten, I got to play it with him at in Cancun. I went down to Mexico and played his um, Cancun Beach Festival and um, sang it with him in the set. And that was just incredible. I Dude, hope I get dream to come true. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> that is so amazing. That's got to be like a bucket list. Sing with Dave Matthews. Yeah, I in Cancun. Man. What was happening? <laughs> I feel like people don't realize how cool Dave Matthews is. No, I mean he's, he's got awesome. so many fans, but like he also started ATO. The thing that I love about Dave Matthews is that he kept making Patty Griffin make music after oh, yeah. she was like, I quit. <laughs> we really cool. need her. <laughs> yeah, he is such a cool person. And when my The song Next Rodeo, you say it reflects the miles I've put in with my band, Golden Highway, which has mm -hmm. clocked in well over 100 shows. That's like in the press release now. So it's 100 <laughs> plus shows. It's probably 200 plus shows mm -hmm. at this point. And we'll give shout outs to Bronwyn Keith Hines. Let me know if I'm mispronouncing anyone's name. Correct. I think hers is the worst. 
Not the worst. Hers is the hardest. (laughs) We have many many nicknames for Bronwyn in the band. We saw a YouTube comment on one of our videos where someone was like, I introduced the band. I think it was like our pace session or something. I introduced Mm -hmm. her and someone said, what's the fiddle player's name? I couldn't catch that. And someone wrote, Ron Winky Pies. (laughs) (laughs) We often call her Ron Ron Winky Winky Pies. Pies. Yes. That sounds right. Well, she is a hell of a fiddler. Mm-hmm. Also, Dominic Leslie on the mandolin, Shelby Means on bass, and Kyle Tuttle, who is playing banjo. Everybody, for the most part, singing along. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the ease and connection you feel with Golden Highway? And what's the feeling that you get when you're on stage? And when did it start like gelling for everyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, after I made Crooked Tree, um, I started like calling I well first I started thinking about who do I want to take these songs on the road with on the record you know I had the band name Golden Highway but I didn't actually have a band yet so it's kind of funny I did it in reverse a little bit um Dominic played on the whole record and I called him and I was like hey do you want to play with me next year and he said yes so I had one one band member I was just trying to fill in the rest of the band think like who's gonna bring the most personality to this project who's gonna like bring a unique voice the whole record was all about you know kind of being who you are individuality so i wanted to choose people who i felt like their personalities really shine through in their music and their playing and their stage presence and so everyone who i asked said yes i got my dream band and um, we've all been friends in one way or another for like the past decade so it was a cool experience i've never had that before where i where I like have this band in my head. I imagine the people playing together and then it happens and it's like better than I could have imagined. Um, it felt really cool. In the past, I've, I've had wonderful bandmates, but it's never been this kind of like brainchild where I'm like trying to concoct my dream bluegrass band that I feel like will have this unique personality to it. Yeah, we all got together and everyone already knew each other Had already played together in different configurations just through the bluegrass scene over the years. And so it, it all kind of started gelling really quickly. And I feel like our first couple shows, we were just kind of like, wow, this is something special. It really, awesome. really, really is. <laughs> I, I saw you guys, what was it, last month in Arkansas? It is like a magical golden connection, oh, um, this you. band. <laughs> bottom on the well Woke up in a dream with a curious habit Chasing a little white rabbit I want to ask you about Alice in the Bluegrass um, which is such a cool fun far out (laughs) song basically for our audience it is Alice in Wonderland but it takes place in Kentucky there is cornbread that says eat me there's a toadstool (laughs) fiddle etc so a fun fact that cindy told me is that you played the queen of hearts in your school play and also um in 2020 your band covered jefferson airplanes white (laughs) rabbit and you were the queen of hearts in that costume arrangement we're curious (laughs) 
what is your connection to the Queen of Hearts? Because maybe the natural choice would have been to dress as Alice, as the band leader. Um, what is the spiritual connection between you and the Queen of Hearts? And what does she represent um, in this music? When I was in eighth grade, I went to this school where um, it was kind of like a hippie school. Like people came barefoot. There was mm-hmm. our music teacher like played bluegrass jams and uh, played in bluegrass, local bluegrass jams. So I kind of um, he always like started this like bluegrass band at the school. And anyway, it was just like a very kind of like chill, like laid back vibe at the school. So we always, every year the kids would vote on which play you wanted to put on. And my class voted to do Alice in Wonderland. And I started reading the book. It became like one of my favorite books at the time. And, um, my best friend played Alice in the play and I, okay, power couple. <laughs> I was thinking, who do I want to play? And I thought the Queen of Hearts was like the next coolest, if not like the coolest one to play, because you get to be mad, you get to yell. And I was kind of reserved as a kid. It was like not in my natural wheelhouse. But <laughs> I'm not saying I'm like a great actor by any means. That's the only time I've ever like acted in my life. But I somehow tapped into this like this maniacal like queen of hearts persona (laughs) for the play and be like she's your sasha fierce (laughs) yeah so that's like my alter ego wait did Um, you do the play or did you do the musical because i was in the alice in wonderland musical in fifth grade that's super cool i didn't know there was like well i know there was music in the movie but the music is really trippy (laughs) yeah i bet (laughs) lizzie do you want to reveal who you were yes i was tweedledee Oh, and I had like I was like my costume was like completely round. And so I would just like <laughs> bump into people and I got to do the funny songs and be goofy. That sounds so fun. Oh, it was <laughs> the best. The year before in seventh grade, we did Dracula, which was a lot darker. And it was all there were not many parts for the girls like the guys got all the good parts. So then we did Alice in Wonderland and the guys all of a sudden decided, oh, we want to dress in drag and and do all the girl parts so the guy who did dracula tried out for alice his friend tried out for the queen of hearts and so me and my friend were like we're gonna yeah the class got to vote on who gets which part so we were like we're gonna like beat these guys like we practiced every day so i got so good at screaming off with your head and then when we did it (laughs) we both got voted as the part so it was very triumphant oh my gosh dude (laughs) i feel like that's the that's the only instance I've ever heard of of drag being like a way of like ma- like a like a pro male chauvinist Oppression. drag. Like I I normally yeah. very much support drag, but this was not that doesn't seem right. <laughs> we had to invent fake parts for the girls to be in Dracula. I had like one line and I was just this like sexy vampire girl, but <laughs> <laughs> Is there an Alice in Wonderland reference in Stranger Things, too, with the looking glass? Yes, that's why we put those two songs next to each other. So, yeah, I guess Alice in the Bluegrass came about. I had covered um, White Rabbit in a live stream I did in the pandemic. And then um, we decided to work it up in the Bluegrass band and dressed in 
Alice in Wonderland costumes last year. And we did that because I had this song, Alice in the Bluegrass, that I'd written mm -hmm. after I'd learned White Rabbit. I'm like, I should write like the bluegrass version of White Rabbit. So we thought it would be fun to kind of hint at it last Halloween. Um, and then I had that song, Stranger Things, which was actually probably the first song I wrote that ended up on this album. I wrote it um, not thinking like this is going to end up on a bluegrass album. It was just kind of this like spooky song that I'd written. I didn't know when I was re going to record it, but I thought it would pair really well with Alice in the Bluegrass, just one kind of like going into mm. the other. It's kind of like mm. the darker side. Um, yeah. Kind of song. Lizzie and I were talking about the record and the A side is so different from the B side. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is the song that marks like, okay, we're going to get goth. <laughs> yeah. I felt this like, point in the record. yeah, the B side, you're going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Oh, I oh love God. that. <laughs> oh, I there. love that. <laughs> we do want to ask a question about, on Stranger Things, Jerry Douglas, mm -hmm. who is uh, who co-produced the record with you and is the master of the Dobro. How do you write for somebody who is so masterful in his instrument? Um, and more importantly, how has your relationship with him as a producer shaped how you think about your own recordings? Um. Yeah, it's, I mean, on this record, it was like, especially on Stranger Things, I just like felt like I needed to hear him play on it. We were all, we had this funny thing we'd say in the studio, like, make us Acus. So make us Allison Krause in Union Station, because <laughs> they're like our heroes. <laughs> and so when we got to that song, we we're like, we need that iconic, yeah. like Jerry Douglas Dobro part. It's such a like spooky song. And he just knows how to accompany like a song so well and that's part of why I felt like he was the dream producer because he understands like the the kind of like musicianship side of things he's such a master of his instrument but then he also has this like deep connection to songs and vocalists and um just knows exactly what to play behind mm -hmm. a vocal um so that's something I really kind of leaned on him for is just getting the best performance out of everyone instrumentally. He can hear like, he has just the greatest ear. He hears a pitchy note here or like a, mm -hmm. a wrong note there and um, really pushes everyone to do their best performance. But then he also has this side of him that's like extremely tasteful and, um, and knows how to get behind a song and not mm -hmm. overpower it. Mm -hmm. He, uh, the record he made with John Hyatt, was it last year or the year before? It was like so stunning. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I love that album. Love that. <laughs> what lies behind the looking glass is not always as it seems. And once you're gone, you can't return. There's a big change you're coming to the south, and you know we got modern ways of living, but there's I want to talk about Down Home Dispensary, <laughs> which is such a fun song. And I'm fascinated by the way you've framed this issue, which is like very hot in the news, like legalizing marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, the way it's framed in Down Home Dispensary is as like a very fun political pitch <laughs> about how Southern culture can evolve and is evolving. Mm -hmm. So why did you feel it was really important to frame this as a down home dispensary? 
And do you notice an evolution in the way that Southerners and your audiences more broadly are relating to marijuana use? Yeah, well, I think like the South is still kind of the holdout, like it's it's not legal most places Mm -hmm. in the South. And but I feel like it's become like such a almost a bipartisan issue where people are getting behind it. We play it. Mm -hmm. We've been playing it live and people just like are cheering no matter who they are. They're like cheering for the down home dispensary because (laughs) it's just kind of like it's this thing that's become kind of normalized in our society, but it still is technically not legal. A lot of places down south. Um, That was one that Ketch and I originally wrote to be an old crow song Mm -hmm. and then they didn't cut it. And I was like, I'm going to show it to my band. And they're like, we have to do this song. It's so yeah. much fun. And it's sort I of just, like a bookend to Big Backyard of like, yeah. the whole world can be your down home backyard. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. We can make home and freedom anywhere. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> I think it was just, it's funny. Like I find it, I thought it was like a funny angle too, to go about it. Um, you're talking to a politician and just being mm-hmm. like, you should really do this because you're going to make a lot of money. Like this is in your best interest. <laughs> yes. Down home dispensary in Tennessee. Goodbye, Mary, I must go where I'm bound. I don't know. Here's a ticket and my mother's golden I want to keep talking about politics a little bit, um, going into Goodbye Mary, which is probably mm-hmm. my my favorite song on the album. Oh, thank you. It, it picks up on that thread and that through line of independence that you talk about throughout mm-hmm. your catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, but Goodbye Mary, to me, reads like a really dark story of freedom and captivity. Mm-hmm. And like, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe a woman's quest for freedom and bodily autonomy through abortion. Yeah. Um, that's like one angle. Is that what yeah, you intended what with the song? Mm-hmm. Um, so how has living and working in Tennessee changed how you see your responsibilities as a feminist artist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like I'm confronted with things in Tennessee that I never imagined would happen um, where I lived. Like, abortion is not legal in Tennessee Mm -hmm. at all. It was like one of the first states to basically ban it for any reason. Um, And that was really like a dark moment in our history as a country to just like be going backwards completely. It's something that I've feared since I like was a teenage girl. Like what if this got taken away and what if I couldn't Mm -hmm. make decisions for my body and now Basically, I can't in the state where I live. I could maybe travel somewhere else if needed, but who knows? Right. They could they could make it more and more impossible to have access to this. And it just breaks my heart for all the people who now don't have that choice and don't have the privilege of being able to go somewhere where they can get this health service. And um, I was thinking, like, my mom told me this story growing up of my grandmother, whose name was Mary, And she had a friend who was in an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. and she wanted to leave this relationship, um, but she ended up getting pregnant. And so my grandmother and her friend, she would push her friend down the stairs. They would try anything to get rid of the baby. And it's a really 
a really dark story, but it's somewhere that we're going again as a nation. So that song, when we were, we were writing it, we were talking about my grandmother and, um, that's not something that happened to my grandmother personally, but it's, you know, something that her generation had to deal with. Wow. Yeah. I think it's so important to link abortion access to like women's experiences of Mm -hmm. intimate partner violence. I think a lot of people who claim to be pro-life don't want to admit that access to Mm -hmm. abortion is also access to freedom, Yes, you know, and the ability to leave an abusive situation. And Mm -hmm. it's just one more way of like, actually having freedom in your own body. That's, that's mm-hmm. like a really powerful story. Yeah. Hmm. I saw, I went to a concert the other night and there was a woman wearing this awesome t-shirt. It says, I will aid and abet abortion. Yes. I'm going to do a plug on the podcast. I'm joining the board of abortion care, Tennessee. Wow. Yeah, it's just so important, I think, for musicians to be talking about this issue, especially Mm -hmm. those of us that live in Nashville or work in in country and folk and bluegrass. Yeah, it's really scary to talk about. I was so scared to put that song on my record. And Jerry was the one who was like, we have to. This is like one. It was his favorite song. He Mm -hmm. was like, if we're going to record one Mm -hmm. song, it needs to be this one. And I was like, I'm scared. Like this issue is one I I care about about so deeply and it's like one of the most important like social issues to me but it's also like you get kind of like the most backlash for it in a way Mm. have you played this live yet we haven't no we've worked it up and once the record's out i think we we will start playing it but we haven't tried it live yet you got this thank you (laughs) yeah totally thank you thank you for thank you for like telling this telling this story i think that yeah like the bluegrass community needs to hear it and the world needs to hear it i think it's really important First time I fell in love, I all I want to know is, are you a dancer? And just and like, can you describe the ideal party or dance floor where you would play this song? Because <laughs> this is the one that like physically moved me the most. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's like in it's in three, four times. That's kind of mm-hmm. a waltz one. I think I feel mm-hmm. like it would be fun to play at like a wedding or something like some really romantic setting, even though it's not about like romance with a partner per se, but I actually played it um, last weekend at the alopecia conference I was at. And that might actually be my favorite place Ah. to play it because it just, I played crooked tree and then I was like, I'm going to play a new one now. And I played that one and it was just, it felt really special. I felt like connected to the lyrics there in a way that I hadn't really before when I've sang it before. And it was just cool to see those little kids out there, the little bald kids. They're so cute. And just thinking like they're having a really similar experience to me growing up. They might be struggling with 
loving themselves just like I did. And so that was a really special place to get to perform the song. Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) When you're playing at the alopecia conference, you have your wig off. Yeah. It's like, it's fun because, um, nobody wears their wigs. Well, some people do, but it's a very judgment free zone. So if you're wearing a wig, that's cool. That's great. If you're not wearing a wig, that's cool. A lot of people, myself included, we don't wear our wigs all weekend. And then on the last day, you see everyone <laughs> putting their wigs back on to go to the airport because it's hard to travel with wigs mm-hmm. in your bag. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, Whoa, I've never thought about always, that. <laughs> yeah, they need to invent like a good way to store wigs without getting them all messed up yes. on flights. But mm. yeah, it always is something where when I can make the time to go to it and like clear off a whole weekend to be there and be around other people with alopecia, it always just kind of I feel like I level up and then maybe the next the next whole year, I feel like more confident talking about it, more confident taking off my wig at a show um, and sharing my story. So it's always an important thing for me to do. <laughs> OK, let's talk about the fashion of Molly Tuttle. <laughs> wow. On the cover of City of Gold, you were wearing this extremely stylish sequin suit and these <laughs> beautiful cat eye glasses. You've got a rad Western-inspired glittery outfit in the music (laughs) video for Next Rodeo. You were wearing a beautiful black Winnie Couture gown, kind of like reminiscent of like Loretta Lynn at the Grammys. (laughs) Um, It's happening. It's all happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what is going on with the fashion of Molly Tuttle these days and what has been the evolution? Yeah, well, I've always loved clothes, Um, but I don't naturally, I haven't always naturally had a great sense of fashion. Um, but yeah, in recent years, I've gotten to know, like my suit on the album cover was loaned to me by this wonderful Nashville designer, any old iron. And he makes these incredible suits. They're all so sparkly. It's like your dream. It's my dream stage wear. Um, so he loaned me a bunch of sparkly suits for my album cover shoot. Um, so shout out to any old iron. And Laura Citron, she also is a Nashville designer who I wore some some of her clothes for my shoot too. The sparkly suit is any old iron, but they're they kind of have this store in Nashville where you can check out both their clothes. And um yeah, our friend Sam um styled our next rodeo shoot and she was kind of going off that the aesthetic from the album cover of the sparkly kind of western inspired outfits. She had a wonderful collection of vintage clothes she brought to the shoe and um did she style the whole band she did for it that was our first time working um with her that's so fun yeah it was very very fun um and also like me and Bronwyn and Shelby in the band we have gotten really into like coordinating outfits and Mm -hmm. Shelby's kind of like our style guru she'll have the ultimate say like yes these are these are the good outfits for the show. Um, <laughs> so we talk clothes all the time when we're off the road. We're sending each other pictures. Of, should I buy this? Should I, mm-hmm. What should I wear for the next tour? Um, and, and we've gotten Dom and Kyle on board, too. So now they'll text us before a tour and be like, what's the Luke for this run? They know the spelling now. L-E-W-K. So. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> on the stops, he turvy, wild and whirly, in a hurry, full of worry, roller coaster ride. First time you fell in love with yourself.
Cindy, do you want to do you want to stun and scare Molly with some really fun um, lightning round questions? Oh God! You know <laughs> I do. It's the lightning round, Molly da, Tuttle. Da, 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 da. Woo woo woo! <laughs> okay, here we go. You have no choice. You're doing it. Oh God! Molly Tuttle, what is the best Alice in Wonderland movie? I've only seen the Disney version. <laughs> okay. I'll go with that one, I guess. That's acceptable. It's, mm-hmm. That's a very good one. Isn't there like a, there's like the live action one that's quite creepy. There's, yeah, so there's a live action one with Johnny Depp. Yes, I have. Them. Can we bleep him? Can we bleep his name on the that pod? I don't want to, I don't want to promote <laughs> Johnny The one Depp. that I would point you towards is the one from like the 80s slash 90s I don't know what year it came out called Through the Looking Glass okay with Phyllis Diller and Linda Ronstadt and um, Ringo Starr there's all these How like crazy cameos okay yeah I will be watching my family tonight. taped it off TV it's it's like very scary but you're gonna love it I can't that wait that sounds incredible anyways okay where is your favorite place to ride a train to to ride a train to um I think so West Coast, like when I was a kid, we went on this um, train trip up to Seattle and that was super fun. Mm-hmm. I just love seeing the coast. There's this like um, steam powered train in Santa Cruz that you mm-hmm. can ride. It's very cool. You go through the redwoods. Whoa, that sounds <laughs> awesome actually. Beautiful. But, mm-hmm. All right, in thinking of all of this city of gold, gold diggers, gold prospectors, Molly, what is something you really want to have gold plated? Um, gold-plated. Hmm, that's such a good question. You know, I feel like a gold-plated guitar case. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) It might be dangerous on the road, might get messed up, but it would just be so baller. They could do that, like, lightweight. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Because I was going to say you would also need to add an extra employee to your crew to carry it. Yes, I would not be carrying that. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Um, who is your guitar hero? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, my ultimate is Dave Rawlings. I love his playing. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite studio snack? Those like Justin's peanut butter cups. Those are really good. Ooh, I want mm-hmm. one now. I want Me one too. Even now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best way to pass time on the road? Assuming you're not driving. Assuming I'm not driving, um, I like to listen to podcasts a lot because I'm not like staring at my phone. I also get car sick if we're in a van or like if we're on the bus and the bus is moving, I can't really read sadly. So podcasts or audiobooks is good. I just finished that book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo on audiobook and that oh, was so it good. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to alternate between like a like a book that's hard to read and I feel like it's like making my brain work and then like a really fun book. That was like more of a fun page turner. Um, oh, and then the podcasts I listen to, this is embarrassing, but I listen to Bachelor and Bachelorette podcasts a lot. I'll watch that the show. is not embarrassing at all. <laughs> In fact, we might need to have you back for a special episode to talk yes, about. Yes, that would be so fun. Is this becoming a Bachelor <laughs> podcast now? Bachelor Nation. <laughs> yes. I listen to this one Game of Roses where they like they um, talk about it like it's a sports game and they have yeah. all this like terminology they've invented. <laughs> oh my God. All right, next question. Where's the most beautiful place in the world? Big Sur. Ooh. And finally, what city in America has the best weed? Asking for a friend. 
Um, I'm going to give a shout out to the city that I put in、um, San Joaquin, Humboldt County. <laughs> Woohoo! All right, Molly Tuttle, you've reached the end of the lightning rounds and subsequently the end of the interview. Awesome. Thank you guys. This was very fun. Thanks for having me. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network, which, what is it, Lizzie? Lilas. Love you like a sis. You can find all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk, or you can check out basicfolk.com. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening、Bye. all the way to the end.、Mm, bye. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.